That Startup Show is generously supported by Launch Victoria and the Australian Government. Welcome to that startup show. I'm Ray Johnston, fresh out of the startup show TARDIS, which is just like the doctors, only it's red and it doesn't travel through time or space. And it's kind of crowded on the inside because it's just a phone box. Benjamin Law isn't with us tonight. He decided to adopt an alien parasite, so he's safely tucked away in an airlock while I solo pilot the Starship startup, going boldly where no startup show has ever gone before. We're going deep into space. And I'm there, floating in a tin can far above the world. So tonight we're looking at space tech startups and asking why the hell have none of you been able to build a bloody TARDIS yet? (laughs) Now it has been a big year in space news. That's right, there has been a new Star Wars movie which hasn't happened since 2017. (laughs) But back to the real world, nerds, that giant expanse of infinity that was once the exclusive territory of astronauts, cosmonauts, and dogs and rats and that monkey that time. It's now becoming a place where entrepreneurs and startups are playing. The new space race isn't the Soviets and the Americans. It's Branson versus Musk versus Bezos versus Australia. We've finally caught up with the rest of planet Earth and got a space agency, folks. Well, A bit of cash for one, anyway. (laughs) But do we actually want Aussies in space? I mean, astronauts are supposed to plant flags on celestial bodies, not wear them as capes. (laughs) Meanwhile, the New Zealanders have beaten us into space via a startup called Rocket Lab. And all this time, they told us Kiwis couldn't fly. Rocket Lab offers to get your payload in orbit more affordably through ride-sharing. Kind of like Uber for satellites with less controversy. I'm hoping to launch an Airbnb on the moon. I'll call it Airless B&B. You can give ratings out of five stars, eight planets and Pluto. Poor Pluto. Although, of course, no company's been able to get to the moon yet. In May, Google announced that their $30 million Lunar X Prize for landing a robot on the moon was going to go unclaimed. One of the front runners was the Japanese startup Hakuto, who created a moon rover called Tetris. I'm surprised they weren't able to slot in somewhere. <laughs> Problem was, whenever their landing gear hit the moon's surface, disappeared. (laughs) 
Anyway, we are the ones on the launch pad tonight with some absolutely incredible space biz guests spanning rocket science to virtual space to an actual astronaut. And if you want to join in the conversation, tweet us at TSU Show or use the hashtag ThatStartupShow. Now, space is vast, infinite, complex, the complete opposite of venture capitalists' attention spans. <laughs> However, there are a number of growing startups that see space as the future of business. Tonight, we have with us three absolute legends of the space tech sector, and we will ask them the most important question for entrepreneurs. In the future, instead of an elevator pitch, will you need a transporter room pitch? <laughs> Our first guest job is not rocket science. Sorry, I've got that wrong. Our first guest job is literally rocket science. <laughs> and she's hoping to build the digital nervous system of the planet. I actually thought a digital nervous system was a gathering of startup CEOs. <laughs> Would you please welcome the CEO of Fleet, Flavia Tardanadini. second guest is not just going to space, he's creating it. As the head of consumer space-based virtual reality company, he can probably sort out that whole TARDIS thing for me. <laughs> Would you please welcome the director of Opaque Space, Emre Dennis. is a real live NASA astronaut who piloted and commanded several space shuttle missions and has spent over 38 days in space. And after acquiring a taste for the infinite void, she now powers her own space missions. She's the Director of Space Technology and Policy at Nova Systems. Would you please welcome Pamela A. Melroy. <laughs> by this lineup. Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us. Now I'd like to start with one question to the panel. It's a bit of an existential one really, also a little bit hypothetical. So the year is 2050 and the earth is uninhabitable for some reason. I'm not saying it was one of you, <laughs> although it might have been. Uh, Pamela, perhaps we can start with you. Where in the galaxy are we going to be able to relocate Australia to? Oh, well, the obvious answer that jumps to mind is Mars because it has a lot of red dirt <laughs> and it's dry. Now, the only problem that I can see is that Australia just wouldn't be the same without the thousands of kilometers of gorgeous coastline. So I think we're gonna have to do a little terraforming first. I like that idea. Emre, do you have any ideas? You take Europa and you take Mars <laughs> and you bash them together. There's your water. I'm not sure that's going to end how you think it'll end, but all right. The science checks out. Nicely the done. The science checks out, apparently. What about you? What do you think? I don't know. Are we saying 2050? I think Mars would be already busy by then, right? I think we have to choose another planet. 
We've got some optimism on the panel tonight. That's that's very good to see. But we're now we are going to play a game, and this game is called Sci Fact or Sci Fiction, and we're going to read out the name of a company, and you have to buzz in and tell me whether this is a real space startup or whether it's a fictional company from TV, movies, video games. Audience, please don't yell out the answers to these. I know you're going to know them. I can see. I can see you're on the edge of your seats. First up, oh, test your buzzers first. Oh. I love it. <laughs> first company, Cyberdyne. Trick question. Mm -hmm. Oh, go on. Cyberdyne is fictional. Skynet is real. Oh, come on. Tell me more. <laughs> The name of the UK Defence Communications Network is Skynet, well. a network of satellites. Did they know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I can tell you it was very hard to keep a straight face when they first told me that. So, so as you may know, Cyberdyne is from the Terminator series. <laughs> they were the creator of the AI defence system Skynet, uh, <laughs> the one that concludes that humans are the biggest impediment to Earth's safety and then kill us all. So good to know it exists in real life. As, well, let's move on to something a bit less Dyer, the next company, Planetary Resources. Emre. It's true. You think it's a real company? Yes, but I don't know what they do. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct. Well, it's a real company and they're doing asteroid mining. That, that is yeah. very, very true. So it it's is. It's actually quite amazing, you know, going out in space to dig asteroids to get resources for probably going to Mars and doing this big long trip that we'll have to go to go there. Hmm. So just like in Armageddon with... Probably yeah. without <laughs> the hotties, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, they might be hotties. Uh, yeah, that is a real asteroid mining company, uh, which is the only industry where an expansion phase is known as tightening your belt. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Virgin Galactic. Come on, guys. Yeah, totally true. Yeah, Virgin is our, you know, oh, come on, Virgin Galactic is amazing. And they, they are going to probably give us a beautiful plane to do space tourism in a few years. Ooh. Yes, Richard Branson. Again, yes. well, optimistic. Because, yes, Virgin Galactic is real does exist in the real world, but it's almost a decade on from the date that Richard Branson said we'd see a maiden flight, so I'm thinking it might be a little bit fictional. <laughs> oh, depending on if you're asking SpaceX or Boeing as well. <laughs> Next company, Soylent. <laughs> Trick question. <laughs> yes. Why, Pam? <laughs> well, I'm a little older than you guys, so I actually remember this science fiction movie about Soylent Green. Oh, we have Netflix. And, uh, oh, okay, good, good, good. Yeah, Netflix saves the day. Uh, but in fact, uh, I was astonished to find out that uh, there's a company that's marketing a food product called Soylent right now. Yes, that is actually true. The real world food startup is a liquid meal replacement. I don't know why they decided to name themselves after a fictional food, you know, best known for that green variety. Turned out to be made of people. 
Uh, ironically, the real world product itself is completely vegan. <laughs> so that cannibal market totally untapped. That is the end of our little quiz here. I think we all know the scores. Thanks for playing, guys. It doesn't matter at all. But now we want to have a bit of a chat about the space startup space. Pamela, you were a puny earthling out there in the inky depths. I do have to ask, how does that feel? Uh, puny is right. Um, <laughs> the uh, Our universe, and especially our Earth, is incredibly awe-inspiring. And one of the most amazing parts about being in low Earth orbit is going around the Earth in 90 minutes. That's everything. Everything we know, every human being you could ever meet, every piece of music you could listen to, everything, every place that you could go visit on Earth. You go around the entire thing in 90 minutes. And then you look out the window in the other direction and it, the universe goes on forever. It, it really is awe-inspiring. People have asked me, hey, you're kind of in tight quarters up there. Well, I'll tell you, when you're a puny Earthling, far away from your home, you want to be close to the people that, that are having that experience with you. They um, are having this awe-inspiring experience. And uh, it's my hope, actually, with the space agency and commercial space growing, that more people have the opportunity to see the Earth from space and experience that overview effect. Now, Emre, having never been to space yourself, I'm assuming that because alien abductions do not count. <laughs> How do you get it right when training real life astronauts in virtual reality? I speak to Pam. <laughs> um, we do actually speak to, uh, to astronauts. Uh, we've collaborated with, with NASA um, on the creation of some of our experiences. Um, we try and get as much anecdotes as possible. So capturing as much as we can um, to have a visual depiction of that environment is paramount because there is so much that cannot be communicated until you're actually there and you have the sense of the, the spatial kind of positioning of where you are. Because um, I remember the first time I actually put on a, the VR headset and looked down on a 4K map of, of the Earth, and this was data that's derived from uh, the NASA Blue Marble images, um, I thought it was completely off because you're so close to the ground, and it's terrifying. You're moving at 27,000 kilometres per hour. When it's all built to scale inside of a virtual environment, you, you immediately gain a sense of empathy towards what someone's going through. I mean, it's never going to be one-to-one, -one, but we are taking steps to try and emulate as much as we can. Flavia, we've got our own space agency on the way, finally. How do you think the government and the private space will work together on this? First of all, I just want to take a minute to understand when what happened this year with the space agency, because it's huge. I mean, Australia is one of, not the last one, but, you know, coming a bit later to the game. <laughs> and we have a space agency now. It's something that happened in the past 12 months. And people have been working for years. And what I've seen is, because space is not commercial, there are all these space startups in the community 
the government came along. You know, when I arrived in Australia, it was four years ago. There was one space startup in the entire country. Now I think there are 90 plus in the window of time of four years. So it was a decision that the government had to make. Um, for people that we really don't know space, space is changing. It's not anymore the $1 billion satellites or the $10 billion rocket built by government. It's not like that anymore. Now people like me can do space, people like us and people like... Um, Elon and everyone, you know, but it's just not Elon, right? Yeah. Okay, it's all of us, and because you do the technology as are there, and the government still has got a very important role in this because space is hard. Space is not just building software in, a, you know, with your friends or in a garage. You do build things in a garage, but you have to send them to space. <laughs> so there are a lot of barriers that needs to come down, a lot of help that we need. Um, but now we are entrepreneurs and, you know, it's a private commercial time and we're going to go ahead anyway. But now we've got an agency and it will help us because Australia now is, is, yes, arriving a little bit later, but it can propel to the future, right? This is our first commercial space agency on Earth. And I think we're going to see amazing things in the next 15 years. We don't even have any idea. We're just scratching the surface. So should be very proud. It's exciting. Absolutely. It's really exciting. Now, Pamela, space tech isn't just for out there. What are the ways it can be used on our current home planet? Wow, well, all kinds of space tech has, has been uh, used in a lot of different ways, even in what we call traditional space or space 1.0. Uh, just uh, sending humans to space regularly on the space shuttle and certainly living aboard the space station. Things like telemedicine, Mm -hmm. uh, water reclamation technologies, uh, CO2 recovery technologies. Uh, those are technologies that NASA had to solve uh, with their partners and, dis and is, they're being disseminated to other places that need them. But I think what's really exciting about Space 2.0 is that we're beginning to see that our world is a global world and we are deeply connected. Markets are all connected with each other. Uh, things are happening at a rapid scale. The only way that you can keep track of those things and keep people connected, eventually it's going to have to be done from space. It's the only place that at a relatively low cost, I know people aren't used to thinking about space as low cost, but when you think about trying to connect everyone throughout Australia, how hard that, that can be to do. But from space, it's a much simpler problem. So I, I think uh, what you're seeing is the space 2.0 technologies that are impacting agriculture, um, fishing, mining, uh, homeland security, all of those things. And I've always felt that exploration is about improving the human condition. And Flavia, to your point, in business, it's called being a fast follower. Hmm. And I think that's where Australia is right now, where you learn from those ahead of you and you rapidly catch up and even overtake them. Now, Emre, do you think VR will be used in other areas of space tech, maybe virtual tourism? Yes. So virtual reality is already being deployed onto the International Space Station. So we are going to see the deployment of virtual reality as a form of telepresence with home and family, um, as a form of diagnosis as well, uh, as a tool for astronauts to use when, when exercising um, and for self-assessment um, when ap applicable. 
So there's going to be a number of different fields ranging from human performance to, to even medicine where virtual reality has a place. And I think that there are some red herrings around that. So the idea of the robonauts being controlled uh, from Earth in, is something that's quite debatable because of the latency around, around, around signal processing. Um, but it can mean that you, know, you can be at the, the Coppola um, and have a VR headset and control uh, a robonaut that's with, um, uh, with an astronaut, basically. Mm-hmm. And those things start to open up the, the, the cost, reduce risk, and also um, remove elements that have you know, permanent impact on, onto astronauts that are there, uh, which can help us provide a much safer and a much more accessible environment. So, yeah. Flavia, traditionally, in the old days, uh, it costs $20,000 to get a kilo of matter into space. Yeah. Elon says he's got it down to $2,000 a kilo. How long will it be before space travel is actually affordable. Will I be too old by then? Please don't crush my dreams. <laughs> uh, well, I, I actually think that Elon is not just him, but you know, a few entrepreneurs are creating such a fast innovation revolution that we cannot even grab it. And I've got a two years old and a four years old, and I'm 100% sure, not a, I don't know about myself, but I'm sure my four years old, she will be traveling in intense spaceship. One thing that I'm super fascinated about is, you know, the opportunity not just to go to Mars, but also what we can do for us on Earth. You know, the ability to go from, from, from Melbourne to London in, in one hour. Imagine the world that we will live if you can actually ship like an Amazon service that you get everything in 30 minutes or you can have people having meetings and moving faster. We kind of not understand that this is the next phase of transportation. Exactly what happened when we had a plane and everyone was like, it's going to be safe. Are we going to go on it? Does it make any sense? I will surely not bring my toddler there. But <laughs> it's the new thing. It's going to happen. How close it is, I think it's actually closer than what we think. There are cycles in innovation that usually last 20, 25 years. It takes time for technologies to happen, and it takes really most probably five years to a point that they are safe for people to use them. Yeah. We are getting there. So even if we see, you know, Elon or Richard or Jeff doing their things and using a lot of money to try to make that happen, and we always think, is it going to happen? Innovation takes time. Yeah. And adoption takes even longer, but I think, we are, I think you will see it. I think you will actually see it. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll be okay. And it's gigantic. It's, it's the world is going to change. So we live in a moment in time where we're actually going to see this. Yeah. And we're going to see the first person on Mars. I'm sure we will in our lifetime. Yes, excellent. All right, I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> now, investing in space tech is getting more mainstream. You know, there's VC firms like Space Angels that specialise in the sector. Aside from the cool factor, which is pretty obviously already there, uh, how can entrepreneurs in the area be more enticing to investors, do you think? I think space is extremely cool. And trust me, I'm as big a nerd as anyone and very excited about it. But, uh, (laughs) you know, you um, you have to be very pragmatic about it. And, uh, you know, just the same way I had a job to do when I was in space. Uh, it was sort of like, wow, that's amazing out the window. Let's 
let's get going with the spacewalk and we had things to do. And I think it's very important um, to keep that sense of joy and wonder. And at the same time, the pragmatism that Flavia was talking about, how are you going to make money doing this? And I'd, I'd also add that a lot of people who are very enthusiastic about space and their technology have a really hard time articulating the value proposition in a way that makes sense to people. Uh, they want to get right down in the weeds and tell you about this cool technology and how it'll do this and how it'll do that. And they don't ever get to the point about what is the intellectual property in that or what is the value. Uh, and, and so when I was at uh, DARPA, we used... Uh, what we call the Heilmeyer questions. And it was a series of questions developed by a previous head of DARPA um, that to focus your attention, what are we trying to do? Uh, what's different about your approach uh, from what everyone else has done? If you're successful, who will care? And how will you know that you're making progress? What are your milestones? Those kinds of questions. Um, and, and it's very hard to actually peel back all the layers on your tech and your idea and get to that beautiful nugget. But it's really important to do, especially for non-space savvy investors. Would you please join me in thanking our panel, Flavia, Emre, Pamela, we'll see you in August. Ben will be back with me to show you the money as we look at startup funding. Not all money is equal. In fact, if it's Bitcoin, it's changed value since I began this sentence. We'll see you all next week for a capital adventure. Bye.